0: Corinthians 15, and we're starting at verse 12. The resurrection of the dead. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And if we go down to verse 50. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a wee word of prayer together. Lord, thank you for your death and your saving grace to us. But thank you, Lord, that you rose and gave us hope a new life in you. Nothing, Lord, cannot be defeated. All can be made new in you. Thank you, Lord, through this hope and through this joy and through your victory that all things may be conquered, all fears, all circumstances we can walk through knowing you're in charge. We remember this morning, Lord, that you're risen and you're alive, and we give you the glory. Bless Marcus, Lord, as he comes and he speaks. Give him the words that are clear and true from your spirit, Lord. And may it just... Resonate with us, Lord, that we hear what you want us to hear. Thank you again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. And as Carolyn says, I don't know, is it a thing to wish you happy Easter Sunday? I don't know. If it is, we'll do that anyway. Happy Easter Sunday. Uh, it's really good again you know we sort of say this it's good to be with you this morning but actually isn't it actually good to be physically with each other this morning so um, uh, rather than over zoom and I think you guys are experiencing that as well um, and it's so good to see both services booked out um, by the way just as I was thinking I was to stand down there it's so good to see to have kids with us, I know kids. It's not the ideal thing. Well, you we would love you to be in your spaces as well. But actually, it's so good to have kids with us this morning. And if you have kids, um, please feel at ease with your kids. Um, don't worry if they make a bit of noise or if they move around right about a bit. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. Um, I got three young kids at home, so um, please just feel relaxed and be free in that, and don't be thinking it's annoying uh, me in any way. So, uh, so hopefully you've got your Bible open at Corinthians, First Corinthians. Uh, 15, that's where we're going to be this morning. And I don't know but you, I, I'm going to ask, I don't even know if this is a proper word, I think it is. But would any of you say you are uh, catastrophizers? I don't even know if it is, I think it's the right word. So what I mean by that, um, is any of you, do you catastrophize everything? So, you know when something happens, I don't know, say you get a pain in your toe, uh, before you know it, well, you've obviously consulted your personal 24-hour doctor, Dr. Google, and after consulting him, um, or her, then you have come up with this, uh, sort of diagnosis that you've got some sort of a weird viral thing that affects one in a billion people, and you've got it, and your toe's gonna fall off the next morning. And you've convinced yourself that this is, this pain oh, could be, what, what could that be? What could that be? And you catastrophize everything. Now, I, I'm making a bit light of that, in fairness, but, um, I think we all do it, actually, in some, case, in some form or another, some worse. But for some people, that's a really crippling thing. And so I want to kind of acknowledge that. And what it can do is it can um, cripple you and throw you into this spiral of, downward spiral of anxiety. But usually it's based on information that isn't true, right? It's not factual information. It's information that you have kind of pulled together. I think I could probably ask maybe any doctors like Kirsty her here. I think doctors kind of hate Google. Well, they only hate it whenever the patient's using Google, but they don't seem to hate it whenever they're using it when you're in the surgery. Anyway, that's another story. Um, So, but we catastrophize things, right? And I I think in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is in some way catastrophizing a situation here. So he's recognized that there are some people here in the church in Corinth um, that don't believe in their own bodily resurrection. Now, they do believe in Jesus' resurrection, at least in some form. So he's not denying that. So in verse 12, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So it looks like they believe in Jesus' resurrection in some form. But what they don't believe in is their resurrection, their future bodily resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, growing up, I didn't really think much about the whole bodily resurrection thing. So, I I heard about, you know, Jesus dying on the cross. Um, I believe that. I heard about Jesus rising from the dead again. You know, that was ingrained in there, and I believe that. But that was kind of where it stopped then. There wasn't really much thought around our our bodily resurrection. And yet Paul will argue in this text this morning that it actually is folly and actually impossible to think of one without the other. It's impossible to think of our bodily resurrection without without thinking about Christ's resurrection. But equally, it's 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 impossible to think about Christ's resurrection without thinking of our bodily resurrection because they both are so closely linked. And so we're sort of going to look at both this morning, um, and we're going to sort of follow through Paul's argument. Paul's going to use this. He wants to address this issue of them not believing in their own future bodily resurrection, and the way he does it, he uses this a bit of a what if. Type of argument. So we'll say, okay, well, let, let's run with what you believe. Let's, let's imagine if what you say is true. Let's imagine that actually you don't have a physical bodily resurrection, right? Let's see what the consequences of that would be. Let's, let's follow that argument through, and let's see what if you didn't rise from the dead. And he starts off the argument by saying in verse um, 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead that's pretty strong he's saying if, if you if you don't believe it you're going to be risen from the dead again as believers then you can't believe that christ rose from the dead and then he goes on through he says if christ hasn't risen from the dead this is how it would impact your life and that's what we're going to follow through his statements this morning and see what if what if jesus hadn't risen from the dead how much would it impact us? So if you're going to follow through, um, let's go to verse 14 first of all to see the first consequence. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. So Paul's basically saying in this one half sentence, he said, if you don't believe that Christ has been raised from the dead, then you see everything that I've taught you up to this point, you can just forget about it all. In fact, disbelieve that because it's my, all of my preaching is in vain. Now, this may seem a bit extreme, right? Surely Paul's given us... He's, he's given some good teaching on, like, you know, how to love each other. He's have some, given some good teaching on um, the importance of unity. He's given some great teaching on the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Is he for real that he's saying, really? Just because we don't believe that wee bit at the end about Christ rising from the dead you know, just because I don't believe that, do you mean you just discard all of that? And Paul would say, yes, discard everything that I've taught you. And as we, as I stand here and as we stand here as leaders this morning, we, we echo what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, um, please discard everything that we've taught you up to this point, And please do not come back here because we must be misleading you into something that's not truth. See, at the heart of Paul's preaching was what? The heart of Paul's preaching was the truth that Jesus was who? Jesus was the Son and is the Son of God. That was at the heart of everything. The resurrection was what? It was proof of that. The resurrection was proof of who Jesus was. The resurrection was proof that he actually was the Messiah, that he wasn't just the Son of Mary, but he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And the resurrection proved that he defeated sin, that he had the victory over sin and death, and that he had taken all of our condemnation on him, and that God was satisfied with that. And so the resurrection proves all of that. But if you take the resurrection out of it, Paul says, I've got nothing good to tell you. See, all of Paul's teaching hinges on the resurrection. All of our teaching hinges on the resurrection because Paul always had an eye on that future resurrection. Yes, he had an eye on Jesus' physical and bodily and spiritual resurrection but he also had an eye on his and our future bodily resurrection as well. That's why he could say things like this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. He, he, he was looking forward to our resurrection, our bodily resurrection. That's why he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He cannot say that if simply that we don't, our bodies don't rise from the dead again. How could death be a gain for us? His, his preaching hinged on the resurrection being a real, reality. Because think about it. Let's assume, let's take the, let's take the resurrection out of it. And let's think of what Paul's message could have been to the people. Here's the best. I think here's the best that Paul could do, right, as he preached to the people. He could say something like, yes, God came to earth. Um, He was hated by everyone, was constantly criticized every time he did good, was betrayed by one of his closest friends, was falsely accused, unfairly judged, sentenced to death, beaten, mocked, and crucified before being buried in a cave where he still lies and where his body is decomposing. Follow him. You follow Him. That's a hopeless message. What Paul would then say to them, yeah, do you know what? Here's the thing. In following Him, your life's going to consist of a lot of the same things. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, you will probably be hated as well by a lot of people. You might even be beaten by people. Um, you You'll... You'll, um, you'll have trouble in this world you'll, you'll have a lot of trouble in this world just like he had you're going to follow him yeah and you'll die because just like he died you also will then die the end that's it follow him what a hopeless message you see how hopeless it is we have nothing to work for we have nothing to look forward to apart from just death and our body rotting in the grave and that's it that's it go on and so many people believe that so many people don't believe in anything beyond the grave, and it's such a hopeless message. So Paul here could say, yes, um, this affliction that we have in this world is light and momentary because it's preparing for him an eternal weight of glory beyond the grave. He said, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain because beyond the grave, that's when life really starts, fully starts. And so his preaching hinged on the reality of the resurrection. And then he says on verse 14 for, um, so his preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Well, I suppose it's pretty obvious. He's saying your faith, you're putting your faith in a dead person. You're putting your faith in a dead God. Now some then and some people definitely now will maybe argue against this a bit and they'll say, well, now come on. Um, I'm a God-fearing person. Uh, I am very devoted to God. I'm a religious person. And Jesus, great person. Prophet, respectable. I believe in him. Um, But come on, he he done some great things. And then he died a bit of a martyr. Um, But that doesn't affect my belief belief in God. Because I'm still devoted to God. But we've seen already in our studies of John's gospel that right at the start, what does John say? What does Jesus say through John? In the beginning was the Word. So he's called Jesus, the Word, capital W, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Get that. And the Word was God. And so God is saying, no, no, Jesus isn't my sidekick. Jesus is God. And so we can't separate the two. And so his preaching was in vain, and our preaching is in vain as well. His, their faith was in vain. And if their faith is in vain, then the consequences of that are really devastating. They are so devastating. What is he going to say? We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify by God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We're still in our sins. Now, here's another train of thought on that because if you were here on Friday night, you would have heard one of the things that Jesus cried out on the cross was, It is finished. So, it is finished. So how can we say that just because we don't believe the next step, the part after that, the, we don't believe the resurrection, how can we say now, how can Paul say that we're still in our sins? Surely Jesus finished what he did on the cross. Surely he paid the price for our sins. Surely he completed that atoning work on the cross. So how can you now say that? Well, so what, he didn't? Did he not mean it then? It seems to conflict. Well, you and I, we're we're born in sin, right? We all know this we're born in sin. We don't grow uh, um, into sin, into sinners or we don't, um, we don't become sinners because we are not called sinners because we have sin. We sin because we are sinners. We're born in sin. So the psalmist tells us we're born in sin and shape and iniquity. Now I don't even need to go down the route of you know giving examples of that um, because we all know nobody has taught you, sat you down and taught you to sin. Well, they shouldn't have anyway. But if you think of our kids, hopefully parents, if you're any type of respectable parent, you haven't sat down and taught your kid how to you know blame their brother and sister when they do stuff wrong how to lie in an argument every argument contains lies isn't it it's crazy um we even had that with our kids last night um they, everybody's always innocent in every argument they always plead innocence did you sit down and teach your kids that well, hopefully not <laughs> hopefully not but they just—they just somehow know it, don't they? They just know how to be selfish, just like we know how to be selfish. Now we just—we grow into them sins even more. They get amplified in our lives, and so I still try to act as if I'm innocent. I'll still argue my innocence. So where does that come from? Well, the Bible tells us it comes from you being born in sin. We're descendants of Adam. Through Adam came sin, sin into the world, and sin carries. The death sentence, right? Eternal death. Romans tells us, For the wages of sin is death. Or Matthew twenty five, forty one says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the punishment of sin is weary. It is so weary. All sin. All sin. So But the gospel message is that Jesus took our sin, took our punishment of sin on the cross. And the resurrection then is like a visible sign of something that is invisible. So the very fact that Jesus rose from the death is proof that the full penalty was paid for on the cross. It's proof that our sin had been paid for in full. And it's proof that God is now satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But if the resurrection doesn't happen, then that would mean that Jesus is still dead. That would mean then that he obviously hasn't defeated sin, and sin and death were still holding him captive. Now, if the wages of sin is death, eternal death, and Jesus is still dead, what is the outcome of that? Well, that would would say to me that Jesus is still taking the punishment of sin, So actually, he hasn't completed the work because he's still going through the wages of sin. He's still under the condemnation of God and he's still enduring the punishment. And if this is the case, then what hope is there for us? If he's still enduring the weight of sin and the punishment for sin in the grave, then what hope is there for us? We'll just follow him in suit. We'll just follow him into eternal punishment. If he's still under the condemnation of God, then so are we so we're still in our sins then moving on down what's the next consequence Um, verse 18 then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished so those also who have fallen asleep in Christ those other people that we would have said were believers who have died well do you know the hope that you're holding on to for them It's not real. There is no hope. Was there still under the condemnation of sin as well? And then he just finishes off verse 8 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. saying if your hope is only in Christ for this world, then you are most to be pitied, Paul says. For those, he's saying that whatever card you've been dealt in this life, that's the best it's going to get for you. There is no future hope of anything better. Whatever you're going through now, that could be the best it's ever going to get for you. Now, that might be okay for some people who would be, maybe, you know, are are okay at the minute and they've got like maybe financially secure and they've got like in a good relationship and a good marriage and they've got a dog and a house and a car and all the things and the sun's shining. And today, well, you know, that wouldn't be so bad if this was the best I could get. It's okay. Well, we know it will not last, just from the experience of life. But what about for those of us who aren't there at the minute? And life at the minute is painful. Life at the minute is crippling. Life at the minute, there's loads of pain and suffering. Well, the best that I can tell you is um, things may not things may not get any better because. That, that's just the way it's going to be. And so on. I can, well, let's hope that it does get a bit better. But the reality is that could be your life from now until you die. And then that's it. That's the best that we have. And that's a pitiful message, Paul says. We are most to be pity. It's a pitiful prospect. So it's not a great picture if you take Jesus out of the, out of the equation, if you take his resurrection out of, the, out of the equation. But obviously we're here this morning because we don't believe that. And we know that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Paul knows that as well. Because then he goes on, verse twenty, to argue the opposite. Then, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so, what Paul's saying here, Christ, he has come back to life again, and he's like the first fruits. Now, I don't know if there's any fruit growers here. Um, what do I call myself, fruit grower? Uh, I've got an apple tree and sometimes you get a few small apples uh but um it's funny because we moved to where we're at now and we had to dig up the apple tree this apple tree by the way is one that jane's dad gave us avid avid gardener special apple tree got it for one of her birthdays or something and it's like three apple trees grafted into the one i don't know you could do that apparently so and um and we dug it up carefully still young brought it to where we're living now planted it great fine until the donkeys started getting at it not good um but then a few years later we were sort of had a big digger there and we're trying to move things around thought right let's get this apple tree out of there and move it because the donkeys are going to rack it and every time jane's dad comes around i'm like freaking out he looks up into the field and sees this bare apple tree so we got the digger he scooped it out brilliant Planted it in where we're going to plant it. Oh, great job. Um, But then Jane made a mistake that she told her dad we did this. To be honest, there was something in the back of my mind thinking, there's probably a time in the year you're supposed to do this and a time you're not supposed to do it. Soon discovered it's a time you're not supposed to do it when we did it. So I planted this. I was very planted anyway. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, Right, okay. So we planted it. Not in the first year. but The next year, um, you're looking out for it. And you see a wee bud coming. Not dead! It's not, by the way, there's only a bud in one half of it. The other graft part, it's gone. Anyway, so you see this wee bud, and you get excited. Now, why do I get excited? I don't see this small first bud. And then sort of, I'm looking forward to seeing how that one bud's gonna develop into a, a bigger bud and into an apple, small apple, big apple, bigger apple, and then I'm gonna come up one day, pick that juicy bad boy, and I'm gonna take it off and eat it, and it's gonna be so good. Well, that, that's true. But when I see that first bud, I'm excited because I'm thinking the tree is not dead, which means hopefully there's going to be a load of more buds coming in this thing. now. So every day I'm going up looking, any more, any more, because I'm looking forward to the bigger harvest of loads of apples. Not just one apple, but that one bud was like the first fruit of more to come. It was a sign that there's more to follow. And so Paul is saying here that Jesus is the first fruit of our resurrection His resurrection is just the beginning of more resurrections. His resurrection is the first fruit of more fruit to come. Us, our resurrection. And so Jesus rising from the dead is so, so important for us. For the believer, it's not simply the body goes to the grave forever and your soul goes to heaven because, well, that's just the way it is. So you've got, you die body in the ground, soul in heaven. So I don't know, but you, you, you've you maybe, maybe that thinking sounds familiar to you because that's what, what I thought growing up, which is true. So I do believe that when um, you die, your physical body goes to the ground, your soul goes to heaven to be with God. But has your, has your thinking ever just stopped there? Because that's where mine stopped for years. But then when I started looking into our physical bodily resurrection, it's like pardon the pun, but it started putting you know flesh and bones onto the resurrection for me then. And it started becoming exciting and real then. See, our bodies do not just stay in the ground and our soul in heaven and that's it. Why? Because that's not what happened to Jesus. If he's our first fruit, if he's the forerunner of what's going to happen to us, that's not what happened to him, so it's not what's going to happen to us. So now we jump over to verse 51 and. And let's read what actually is going to happen then. Verse 51 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Where, where do you normally hear these verses read? It's normally at a funeral, isn't it? Um, you don't hear them much preached in a sentence, not a funeral. And I think when we don't do that, when we don't think about these verses now, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. What are these verses telling about us? Well, he's telling us that one day when Christ returns you will be raised. So those who are dead in Christ, first of all, will be raised and they'll be given new bodies, brand new bodies. And they're going to be imperishable, eternal bodies. So different from these, because these bodies, our physical bodies are perishable, which means that, you know, it's weird from the moment you're born, you're starting to die. You're getting closer to death. It's kind of a weird concept, but so our bodies are perishable. We see it in sickness and we see it in death we're moving towards physical death. And that's painful. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to give us a new body that will never die again, that will never perish, that will never get sick. And that's the hope for us as believers. An eternal physical body to live on a, an eternal physical new earth that he will create. And so the world is about, the, the, the Bible story is about, it's almost like a story of two worlds, right? You've got the first world at the start where God created, perfect, put Adam and Eve into it, perfection. But then our first representative, Adam, he messed that one up, just like we would have if we were there. And sin came into the world. But then you go to Revelation, and you get a story of another world. And that's the new world that God's going to create. And it's not going to be perishable and it's not going to be impacted by sin. It's going to be eternal, and we are going to live on that world. Jesus is the forerunner of our resurrection, and one day we will follow. We will follow suit. But here's an important difference for us: we won't have a Good Friday experience. So we don't have a Good Friday where. Jesus went to the cross and went through the pains of hell for us. Because he did that for us, then we get to skip Good Friday and we get to jump straight to Resurrection Sunday. We're benefactors of Good Friday. We're benefactors of what he has done for us. And so now what we can do is we can go back through these arguments quickly and we can say, that, so we can assume the reality is actually the opposite. That's what Paul's trying to show here. He's trying to show how ridiculous this is if you believe this, and inadvertently he's trying to show the reality is actually the complete opposite of this. So actually, his preaching's not in vain. His preaching's not in vain, and their faith is not in vain. So when Paul compels us to follow Jesus, he's not asking us to follow Jesus to the grave. He's not asking us to follow Jesus to death. He's actually asking us to follow Jesus into eternal life. And so it's different now. The resurrection brings a whole new spin on what Paul's trying to teach now on the message he's trying to teach, when he teaches that for us, the afflictions we go through in this life are light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that has been prepared for us, um, then we can believe that because the rapture action proves that death is defeated and there uh, and there is more beyond the grave, then we can believe that message. So whatever pain you're going through right now, Whatever pain that you're experiencing in your body, your mind, or your soul right now, it will not always be like that if you're a believer. It's momentary. It's momentary. I can only say it's momentary if I believe that there is an eternity beyond the grave. Because if I say it's momentary, you might, in your mind, think, how dare he call my pain momentary? Because my pain is valid and my pain is crippling, and I'm struggling to get myself out of the bed every single day. So don't tell me my pain is momentary. Don't tell me my pain is light. The only way that I can truthfully say that to you is if we've got the right perspective on life. If we see this life is short and momentary compared to an eternity, an eternity of painlessness and eternity eternity of perfection. And so one day, if you're a believer, your body will not have any of the physical ailments that you maybe have now. I won't have diabetes anymore. Well, there'll be no heart disease, kidney failure, asthma, arthritis, amputations. There'll be none of that. There'll be none of the mental or emotional illness. There'll be no depression. Chronic OCD, bipolar, anxiety, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts, loneliness, post-traumatic stress, addictions, and the list goes on. There won't be any of those things anymore. Why? Well, because you will have one day will have an imperishable body. Your body will be changed. It'll be imperishable. What else for us? Well, we're not going to be still in our sin. We're not still in our sin now. We're not still in sin. Jesus rising from the dead proves that he has taken the full weight of God's wrath on him and anger on sin and that the wages of sin has been paid for. And so Jesus can cry on the cross, it is finished because he knew it was finished and his resurrection was proof that it was. And there is hope. There is hope for those who have already fallen asleep in Christ. There is hope for your loved one who has fallen asleep in Christ. The same hope that we have, that they too will be raised, physically, bodily raised to life, get a new body, a soul united with their, their physical body, and they will live on a, for all eternity on a new created earth. So, the message of Easter Sunday is the most hopeful message that you will ever hear. It is the most hopeful message you will ever hear. In fact, it is the only truly hopeful message you will ever hear because everything else is tarnished by circumstance, tarnished by sin. But beyond the grave, the resurrection gives us hope of a life that won't be tarnished by sin or circumstances. It brings hope to every dark circumstance in your life. I love a verse in John 14, verse 19. Such a short part of this verse. Says this, Jesus says, Because I live, you also will live. Isn't there so much hope in that one line? Because I live, because I'm your forerunner, because I'm the first fruit, you also will follow suit and you also will live. Acts five thirty to thirty one says, "The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him as his at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Jesus died and was raised to life again. Why? To give you the gift of repentance and forgiveness of sins. He did it because he knew that you and I were a hopeless day and helpless day in our sin and needed rescued." But here's the important thing about this message. This is a great message. This is such a hopeful message, but it's only hopeful if you believe it. It's only hopeful if you accept it. If you choose to hear this message and continue to turn away from God as if you don't need his forgiveness, if you continue in your sin, and what is sin? Sin is basically just saying, do you know what, God? I don't need you to run my life. I don't need you. Some people will argue the fact that, well, don't call me a sinner. I do a lot of good things. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. If you go through your life thinking that you don't need Jesus, if you go through your life thinking, God, I see the Bible and some good stuff in there, but I'm okay. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be ruler and king of my life. I don't want you to be ruler and king of it. I'm going to stay ruler and king. I'm going to stay on the throne. And so then um, I don't need you. Well, that's sin. That's rejection of God. That's treason against the king. And so if you continue on in this and you um, believe that you don't need his forgiveness and you don't believe or even need his resurrection, then you remain under the full weight and condemnation of your sin. And that's an awful place to be. That's where I was for part of my life. But if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and took God's wrath for you, and then you'll want to, you'll want to fall at his feet and you'll want to repent of your sin and you'll tell him you're sorry, believe in that he will forgive you for all of your sin, you'll want to do that if you truly believe this today. And the good news for you is that you can do that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe it. And when you believe it, then you also can look forward to that future bodily resurrection as well. For those of us who are Christians, what hope, what do we what do we do with a message like this? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to constantly live in the light of this future resurrection. That's what Paul did, striving towards a goal. Right? Future glory. He was always looking at future glory, and more and more as you go through Paul's teachings, you see how he's telling you that don't set your mind on things in this world. Honestly, don't get infatuated with things in this world because you know what? Set your mind on things of heaven. Set your mind on eternal things because he, Paul, got it. He was like, you know what? What is the point in investing everything that I have into this world because it's like a blip? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my eyes fixed on eternity. I'm going to get my eyes fixed on that future resurrection. I'm going to get my eyes fixed on that future world. I'm going to get my eyes fixed on that world where I will live in perfection with God at the center. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on that. And so for us as believers, see everything that life throws at you as light and momentary. Why? Because... God wants us to look at the eternal weight of glory that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. There is hope and there is life for us at the other side of resurrection. Eternal life. Jesus says, because he lives, we also live. Let me pray. Father, We don't deserve any hope. We don't deserve for you to give us hope because um, we rejected everything that you gave us in Eden. We rejected the perfection of that world. We rejected you being with us. We rejected you, Father, And we don't deserve any hope that you could give us because our wages are death. Our just payment for our sin is death. But, Father, we are so thankful for your eternal love for us, for your grace that abounds for us, for your mercy towards us as sinners. And, Father, we are so thankful that you don't just give us forgiveness and hope for this life, but you give us forgiveness and hope for all eternity through Christ. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to be our forerunner, that you came to be our first fruit. We're so thankful that you endured the cross for us, a weight that us as believers will never understand. We will never know what it was like for you, Jesus on that cross because we will never have a Good Friday experience Jesus we thank you for the hope of resurrection Sunday we are excited as we look forward to that day when we will rise from the dead when we will have new bodies and we will be on this new earth with you Jesus in your glorious presence Help us to be excited about that. Help us to live our lives in the light of that, Jesus, for your glory and for our joy. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.